Well, you can be seated for a moment or two. I want to share with you uh, one of my favorite parables that Jesus told. And uh, pay attention. It will be on the test, so to speak. Uh, Luke chapter 18, verses 1 to 4. It's a short one, one of the short parables. Jesus told them a story showing that it was necessary for them to pray consistently and never quit. So, don't pause. What was Jesus' goal for telling this story? Pray. This... And never quit. Okay, so remember. So the whole point of this story, this doesn't happen in every time he does a parable. This is one of those times where he tells us right up front before he even does the story, this is what it's about. So he says to us, I'm telling you this story so that you know that it is necessary to pray consistently and never give up. So when I read this story, remember that the whole point is to pray consistently and never quit. Don't get hung up on some of the stuff because we kind of do that sometimes. You understand in a moment. So he tells them the story. He says to them, there was once a judge in some city who never gave God a thought and cared nothing for people. A widow in that city kept after him. My rights are being violated. Protect me. He never gave her the time of day. But after this went on and on and on, he said to himself, I care nothing what God thinks, even less what people think. But because this widow won't quit badgering me, I better do something and see that she gets justice. Otherwise, I'm going to end up beaten black and blue by her pounding. Then the master said, do you hear what the judge said? Corrupt as he is, did you hear what he's saying? So what makes you think, Jesus says, so what makes you think God won't step in and work justice for his people who continue to cry out for help? Won't he stick up for them? I assure you, he will. He will not drag his feet, but, but how much of that kind of persistent faith will the Son of Man find on the earth when he returns? What was the point of the story? Pray. Pray. Don't quit. Be persistent. Trust him. No matter how long it takes, he's in as big a hurry or bigger in a hurry to answer your prayers as you are to have them answered. Just sometimes it takes a while to work things out. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we've talked already this morning about how broken our world is. We ask you to send your Holy Spirit. Send your Holy Spirit to move in every human heart with your gracious love. Break down the barriers separating us. Make our fears and suspicions disappear. Erase every shade of our apathy and listlessness. 
bridge our divisions, bring healing to our homes, our communities, our land, and our world. Help us make sure that justice is done. Put mercy at the top of our list of concerns. Give us the grace to humbly obey you. We ask all this in the matchless name of Jesus, our King and Savior. Amen. Before I launch into the message, I want to again thank you for, uh, for being here or for watching and participating. Um, I know you, uh, as I said earlier, could be doing other things, but I'm glad you've chosen to uh, participate uh, in worship with us today. Uh, I am incredibly grateful that you decided to do so. So, um, I decided to take the mask off so that you could read my lips. <laughs> I try not to get arrested for being a bank robber. Uh, so here we go. This is the fourth, uh, the fourth part of our series called Big Faith. Uh, Big Faith believes that God is who he claims to be and that he will do everything he has promised to do. As we were singing just a few moments ago, I was reminded of all the things that Jesus did, his miracles. He always told people to do things they couldn't do in a synagogue. We're sad to service. Woman's paralyzed, bent over. You know, well, she's not paralyzed, but she's all bent over and, and, and she can't move. She can't stand up straight. Uh, somebody said she had the world's best view of people's feet. And Jesus saw her and he told her, stand up. And she did. Another time he saw a man whose hand was all shriveled and paralyzed and, and he was unable to use it. And he said, stretch out your hand. You know, the first thing he could have said was, are you crazy? I've never been able to move this hand. We talked about a man who was paralyzed and his friends brought him and laid him down in front of Jesus, uh, lowered him through the roof and laid him down in front of Jesus. And Jesus says to this guy, pick up that mat and go home. If anything... I have come to the conclusion that God is always in the business of asking us to do things that are impossible. You have an attitude, he will say to us. Well, maybe he just says it to me. Okay, no, I know better. Uh, he says things to us like, you have an attitude that needs to change. You have a habit you need to break. You need a, there's a habit you need to start. And we're thinking, I can't do that. Any more than the paralyzed guy could pick up his mat and walk. But guess what happened? When he tried, it happened. See, big faith isn't a matter of size. You know, it's not like what well, Jesus himself said it was. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, um, you can say to this mulberry tree, go jump in a lake. And it will. Uh, 
Big faith is a big deal though to Jesus because real faith, real trust in God was destroyed in the Garden of Eden. Uh, The the snake, the enemy, the devil, Satan, um, came and told lies about us, about sin, and about God. Primarily about God. Uh, The rest of it just kind of falls in in place. There was dishonesty. Because of his dishonesty, uh, and our parents, first parents' willingness, they trusted him and distrusted God. Do you either trust God or you don't trust God, right? So, you know, so if you're trusting somebody besides God, you're not trusting God. That was their thing. Uh, And we've been following in their footsteps ever since. We believe lies about who God is and about who we are and who we can be. And we believe lies about what's right and what's wrong. Uh, And it leads to disobedience. So there was dishonesty, there was distrust, and it led to disobedience. We've all been doing what we think is right. And what we think, and avoiding what we think is wrong. And, and, well, just look at all the wonderful things we've achieved in this world. That was sarcasm, in case you're not sure. Because we have messed things up badly. But, on the flip side, ever since we, our first parents did that, God has been in the work of restoring trust Restoring our trust in him. He's been working for that. He, he reveals the truth about himself in a variety of ways, but ultimately he revealed the truth about himself in Jesus. And in Jesus, we recognize the truth about who we are and who we could be. We recognize the truth about who God is and who he's promised to be. And we recognize the truth about Sin about what's really right and what's really wrong. And when we encounter him, we have the opportunity and we often we give the, the right and the responsibility to trust him. See, when we no, begin to know the truth about who God is, we have the opportunity to trust him or to continue to believe the lies and distrust him. But when we trust him, when our response to the truth about who God is, is to trust him, the tra- there's this thing that the spirit begins to do to transform us as he teaches us. He transforms us from the inside out as he teaches us how to live the way God intended for us to live. And there, that's faith. It takes faith to do the impossible. But, just so you know, this is what he tells us to do. The overall arching thing that he tells us to do that is impossible for us to do. If we think it's possible, then we're not quite believing the truth. We're not understanding something. He tells us to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, love God with everything we are. No matter what the cost. And love our neighbors as ourselves. Even that one. Don't yab at me. It's not me anyway. <laughs> Jesus is the one that said those were the two greatest commandments and they're, they're actually like the, the heads and the tails of a coin. You can't separate them. If you don't love your neighbor, you don't really love God. 
And you can't love your neighbor if you don't love God. There are five things that the Holy Spirit uses to, to grow big faith. Uh, there's practical teaching, providential relationships, private disciplines, personal ministry, and pivotal circumstances. Now, two of these things are essentially beyond our control. We talked about one of them uh, previously, and that's that idea of providential relationships. God arranges uh, and brings people into our lives for providential relationships, but you, you cannot start one. Uh, remember, I, I said something along the lines. Can you imagine someone coming up to you and saying something like this? Hi, I'm Mark, and I want to have a providential relationship with you. Yeah. That's spooky to say the least. The the other thing we have no control over is 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 pivotal circumstances. Stuff happens in our world. Oh, you know what I mean? I yeah, I mean like COVID-19 shows up in China and then spreads all over the world in a massive pandemic. It messes everything up. That's a pivotal circumstance. What are you going to do in that circumstance? Well, that, that you have some abilities to, to respond in circumstances, but you can't just go out. To, you don't wake up one day and go, I am going to have a pivotal circumstance today. Well, you can, but it's kind of like waking up and saying, I'm going to be perfect today. Nothing's going to bother me today. I've never made it to breakfast with that. Now, so there are two things we have no control over. We, we need to be open to providential relationships and we need to know how and be ready to respond to pivotal circumstances. But there are three things that the Spirit uses to build our faith in Jesus that require us to take an active part. If we don't take an active part in these three, if we don't make sure, do our part to make sure they happen, then they don't happen. The first is practical teaching, and that involves us making sure we receive practical teaching, and then that we practice the practical teachings, that we put them into practice. The second thing is personal ministry. God calls us to care for people and to infuse people with the hope of Jesus. That looks like different things to different people. Uh, but when we get involved in ministry of serving other people, it necessitates uh, us growing because it's one of those things, another one of those times when Jesus told the disciples to do something they couldn't do. There was a whole crowd of people that had been following him and they were hungry. It was nighttime and there was, you know, they're out. In the, I don't know why. People were so, so happy to follow Jesus, they even followed him out into the desert. And, and there was no place to go to get food. There was no place to, to provide for them. And Jesus turns to the disciples and uh, they, they came to him and said, well, Lord, you need to send these people someone to go home. Tell them to go home so they get something to eat. He goes, you feed them. <laughs> Did he just say what I thought he said? The accountants, I love accountants. 
I don't, I, uh, accounting wears me down, but I appreciate it deeply, particularly the people who are really good at it and enjoy it. And the accountant in the group said, Lord, you do know that it would take nearly a year's wage to pay, feed all these people. We don't have that kind of money. Hmm. When you're in personal ministry, whether it's uh, uh, teaching a Bible school class or helping your children learn how to, uh, to pray or helping your neighbor know Jesus, any of these things, these are, these are all ministry. They're all services. They're all things that Jesus say, you take care of them. And they're all impossible unless he works through us. But we have to do something. Uh, we also need to exercise the private disciplines that Jesus taught. Now, let's talk about discipline for a moment because I'm pretty sure most of us do not have a positive feeling about the word discipline. Or maybe it's just me. I don't know. But just how do you feel? Think about it. How do you feel about the word discipline? Uh, the dictionary does not help me. Uh, the dictionary does not help me feel good about discipline. It says discipline is the practice of training people to obey rules using punishment to correct disobedience. <clears throat> it's not real something I... Yeah, I just want to be disciplined. There is something wrong with the person who says that. I just want to be punished. Come on. It's not right, I'm telling you. Others define discipline as the ability to manage your actions, feelings, and emotions. An example of self-control, this dictionary went on to say, is when you want a cookie, but you use your willpower to avoid eating it. Yeah, none of us are really particularly fond of not eating cookie discipline. <laughs> not eating steak discipline. That, mm, give me the steak. All right? Uh, discipline is not fun in the beginning. Uh, discipline is not something we, we look forward to. Sacrificing what we want now uh, to have something else later uh, can be really frustrating for us. We don't like it. We don't like discipline. But in time, if we practice discipline, self-discipline, if we practice that, we begin to enjoy the benefits of being a disciplined person. If you don't eat the cookie, you won't want a glass of milk. And then you won't want another cookie to go with the milk that you still have left. Some of you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> See, Jesus tells us that some of our acts of obedience to him uh, are private disciplines. They're things that we're to do behind bolted doors, so to speak. Uh, only our Heavenly Father needs to know about these things. Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, it, there's just a couple of verses, chapter 6 verse 1 and chapter 6 verse 6, Jesus taught, be careful not to practice your righteousness, your good deeds, in front of others to be seen by them. 
If you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. When you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret, secret will reward you. We, many of us, not all of us necessarily, but many of us tend to want to do things to be noticed. So that other people think well of us. Uh, we tend to do the right things for the wrong reasons. We want to be noticed and honored for what we do. And when we do, Jesus says, when we do the right things for the wrong reasons, when we do the right things in order to be noticed and honored by other people, we will not receive a reward from our Heavenly Father. What kind of reward? Jesus doesn't say. But I guess if God's the one handing out the reward, it's going to be a great reward. Why would you give up a great reward from a great God just to be noticed by people? In Luke's account of Jesus' life, uh, Jesus talks about the private disciplines just like he did in Matthew's account. Uh, in Luke chapter 1, verses 1 to 13, which is our focus this morning, this is where we're going. Uh, we mentioned two things that uh, a couple of weeks ago that, that the disciples asked Jesus. First of all, they asked him to increase their faith. And the second thing they asked him was what they're about to find in this, these verses, teach us to pray. Luke chapter 11, verses 1 to 13. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. So I'll pause for a moment. I, what was it about Jesus' prayers that prompted this disciple to say, teach us to pray? What did he notice about Jesus' prayers. I used to think, I, I've even taught it and preached it. I used to think that it, it was about the miracles that happened when Jesus, or after Jesus prayed. But I discovered recently that these, this disciple was not asking Jesus to teach him how to pray to get miracles. The 12 disciples, on one instance, and 72 disciples on another occasion had all been given power and had exercised the power to do the things that Jesus did. They went out to preach, to heal, and to cast out demons. And they had all done this, 12 of them once, uh, twice, because they were part of the 72, and, and then the rest of the 72 once. They had gone out, they had performed miracles already. You know, they weren't saying, teach us to pray so we can perform miracles. That's not what this disciple noticed. What was it? What did he want? I think Timothy Keller may be onto something when he writes, Prayer is the way we know God. 
the way we finally treat God as God. Prayer is simply the key to everything we need to do and be in life. We must learn to pray. Prayer is the way we know God. I'm wondering if this disciple saw something in the way Jesus prayed in his connection with his heavenly father, if that disciple didn't say to himself, I want some of that. So Jesus answers him. Jesus said, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, give us each day our daily bread, forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us, and lead us not into temptation. Now, most of us memorize the longer version, and you're thinking, what well, he left stuff out. Well, Luke took notes. He said, this is the shorthand version. So don't, don't be lost. Uh, but notice how Jesus starts his prayer. Father. You can go back through all the prayers, and there are a lot of prayers in, in the first part of the Bible we call the Old Testament. There are a lot of prayers. You'd be hard-pressed to find a prayer that starts with the word Father. God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sovereign Lord, the Great I Am, Yahweh, our healer, Yahweh, our banner, Yahweh, our creator. Even in some of the most personal ones, like Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus says, when you pray, start with Father. Father implies that we are invited, we are welcomed, and we are heard. Now, whenever I talk about fathers or God as our father, I am aware that there are people whose human fathers were really poor examples. I understand that. But deep down inside, those same people have known for a very long time that their father was a very poor example of what a father was supposed to be. And that's because deep inside of all of us, we know what Father God is. And we want that. When my daughters call me dad, or occasionally daddy, they express a deeply personal connection that I don't have with anyone else. I, I don't know, there, I, just to be honest, I don't know anybody else that calls me dad. And 
they probably shouldn't do that in front of my daughters. I'm just saying. Well, maybe the two son-in-laws could get away with it, but... <laughs> yeah, I suppose. Son-in-law, yeah, it's, yeah, it's still not the same, folks. I'm just telling you. When a daughter calls her dad, dad, she's... Uh, when, when my little granddaughters call me Papa, you know, the whole world stops. I don't care what is going on. Well, if the place was burning down, I'd pick them up and then find out what they wanted. But, right? Yeah, there's something about that relationship that these words imply. And Jesus starts with that word, Father. Hmm. Could it be that that's what the disciple noticed? When Jesus prays, he always starts with Father. Like, he expects God to want to hear him. Unlike one, one preacher I heard about who, who prayed a prayer, so went something like this, Oh, great God who created the universe, maybe who's out there possibly, we sure hope you're listening. Jesus says, start with Father. Intimate, personal relationship. And then he goes on and he explains to them more things about prayer. Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. Another friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't slash won't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of your friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity. He will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So, Jesus says, I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Actually, the way Jesus said it, it goes like this. Keep on asking and it will be given to you. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives every, and the one who seeks finds and the one, to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Now he switches gears and says, which of you fathers, you human fathers, if your son asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake instead. Uh, if you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Wow, those are three powerful words. How much more? Will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Our Heavenly Father, I think, wants us to know 
Jesus wants us to know that our Heavenly Father loves us like no human father ever can, even the best of the best of the best. See, we have no categories for our Heavenly Father. We have no way of comparison. His, his loving care for us is infinitely greater than anything anyone can give us. Moms or dads or anyone else. It's like comparing a candle to the sun. I would have said a candle to the Milky Way galaxy, but the only time you see the Milky Way is at night and a candle's pretty helpful then. But on a bright sunny day like this, who needs to light a candle? You know, the, the, the comparison is beyond understanding for us. Jesus really seems to have one agenda in this section. When his disciple says to him, teach us to pray, Jesus has an agenda. His singular agenda is to reveal what God is like. Now you may be wondering, why is that true? Well, it's true because of what happened in the garden when the snake lied about who God is and we believed him and we started disobeying him, we distrusted him and we started walking away from him, Jesus has come. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of who God is and his single agenda is for you to know that you 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 know what the heavenly father is like. He says, if you have a friend who's not going to get out of bed in the middle of the night to help you, unless you just keep knocking on his doors and he's afraid you're going to wake up all the neighbors, how much more will your father in heaven come to your aid? There's no need for shameless audacity with the heavenly father. Just ask, just seek, just knock consistently and never quit. Human fathers would not think of giving poisonous things to their children when they say they're hungry. How much more will our Heavenly Father care for us? Jesus wants us to share his confidence, his faith, his trust, his loyalty to his Heavenly Father, his Father and our Father as we follow him. He's basically saying to us, God our father is so much better than the best you can possibly imagine. I can't pull, possibly fully get it across to you. Just hear these three words. How much more? Our father gives us daily bread, forgiveness, peace, protection, deliverance, and so much more. But how much more will he give us the Holy Spirit, the gift of himself, his presence in us, nearer than the air we breathe? Again, our Father is better than the best that we can possibly imagine, and even better than what you just thought you thought. So, J.D. Walt has this simple question that he asked at the end of uh, 
looking at these verses. Have you asked the Father to give you the Holy Spirit today? So what did the disciple notice that he wanted to know? What did he notice about Jesus' prayer that prompted him to say, Jesus, teach us to pray? Could it be that he noticed something different about his relationship, about Jesus' relationship with the Heavenly Father? See, I do believe that the, Holy, that the disciple noticed Something about Jesus. Whenever they were around Jesus, his, it's like you were with God. It, he has this intimate connection with the Heavenly Father. And the only thing that they could see that was different was the way he prayed. And so he says to him, teach us to pray. Think about this for a moment. I want you to do, I really do want you to think about this. Because most of us are in a, uh, would say that it, we trust Jesus for to take us to heaven by and by, right? So if you can trust Jesus with the eternity that comes after your last breath, why not trust him with everything between now and your last breath? Yeah. See, here's the sermon in a sentence. If you trust Jesus to take you into God's presence after your last breath, why not trust him to do it now until your last breath? If you believe Jesus will welcome you by and by in the sky, why not believe he will welcome you here and now? Could it be I know I'm not talking to everybody in, the, in this room or, or on the internet, but could it be, I know I'm talking to somebody, could it be that you've begun to understand and you've begun to feel that you simply are not content with just joining in on some church activities and doing some re religious things? Have you been wondering, is it, something more to following Jesus than what I've experienced so far. Do you have a nagging thought that your life is like a foundation with no house on it? When I mean, you've got to start, but it's not finished. Or, or maybe you've been wondering, it, you, your life isn't like a cake mix with no eggs or oil. Now trust me, as a kid who's tasted cake mix with no eggs or oil and no oven to bake it in, it's kind of disappointing. There's a little sugar and, you know, if it's a chocolate one, there's chocolate in it. If it's not a chocolate one, you don't even get the chocolate. What a bummer, man. Oh, never mind. No matter where you are, uh, whether you just started thinking about following Jesus and wondering, man, there's got to be more than just what I'm seeing, or, or if you've been following Jesus for decades, you were created for a deeply personal connection with Jesus. You and I exist 
to know God, to know Jesus, and to be known by him. Well, the second part's pretty easy. He knows us. Jesus even said that he knows how many hairs are on our heads. So believing the correct creeds and belonging to a congregation, these things are essential. They're, they're, they're like the foundation for the house or the cake mix. But you were created for more than just belonging and believing. You were created for an intimate connection with our Heavenly Father. All relationships, relationship with God and all of our human relationships, all of our relationships stand strong on trust. When you trust Jesus, he transforms your life. He links you with your Heavenly Father as you were intended to connect with him. See, you need to trust Jesus to lead you into God's presence. You, you can trust him to lead you into God's presence after your last breath. And so I'm encouraging you to trust him to lead you into his presence now. Until then. Your trust in Jesus will grow when you give a few minutes of the day to him. He will leverage regular prayer time to grow your confidence in him. And this, this is something you can do to build your faith in Jesus. You can determine to give either the first few minutes of the day or the last few minutes of the day or the middle of the day to Jesus in prayer. I want you to think of it as an experiment if you've not done this. A trial period for expanding your confidence in Jesus. I want to encourage you to say, to, to, to determine, I will give a few more minutes or a few minutes to Jesus in prayer every day for the next month to see how he builds my confidence in him. Now, the question is, what will stretch your faith? Uh, you, you're the only one who can decide that. Uh, but I want to encourage you to be realistic. If you've not been praying much and you heard me talk about uh, the first few minutes of the day and a uh, few minutes in the middle of the day and a few minutes at the end of the day and you think to yourself, I'm going to dive in there. And none of this few minutes stuff. I'm going to do an hour every time. Really? Can I just... Well, this is what I, I just want to encourage you to be realistic, okay? Uh, do you have three hours a day in your schedule? If you do, go for it. However, if you've, if you've really not been talking to Jesus at all, you're going to find even one hour a little bit on the hard side of life. So, I just want you to start with something you feel confident you will do. Uh, say, okay, I don't like that word few, so switch it out for five or seven or 10. I'm gonna give God 10 minutes a day in prayer. 
A lot of us have a lot of things that we're doing. Let's just be honest. Most of us have insane schedules, even retired people. You can re retire from a job where you clock in, but that doesn't mean you go sit, prop your feet up and go to sleep. There's always stuff to do, right? Uh, so the question that I want you to ponder as you think about what you're going to do to either add to your prayer time or to start a prayer time is it to think about your daily schedule and ask yourself, can I trust Jesus to help me find this many minutes, whatever this is. Can I trust Jesus for this many minutes? If you trust Jesus to lead you into God's presence, when you take your last breath, you can trust him to take you into God's presence between now and then. Are you feeling a nudge inside? Not everybody will, but some, someone is. You're feeling a nudge inside. Are you thinking, hey, I, I think I want to do this. Uh, I want you to know that's the way the Holy Spirit prompts us. Often the way he prompts us. So if you're, if you're not making time to pray now, this is a great time to begin giving some, a few minutes of each day to Jesus. Saying, Jesus, take me into God's presence. I want to know him. If you're already praying, now is a great time to begin more time with him, to add a few minutes. I want to stay in God's presence a little longer, Jesus. See, there is no time like the present. This is the best time to begin trusting Jesus, to usher you into the Heavenly Father's presence. And if you do, One reward that the Heavenly Father will give you is big faith. Let's pray. King Jesus, why, why do we settle for less than all that you want to give us? Forgive us. We want big faith that trusts you completely, even when it stretches us. Even when it seems like nothing's happening, we want the kind of faith that you're looking for. We want a faith that acts, that gives you the time that you gave to us in the first place. When our faith becomes stiff and tired, stretch and strengthen us. When our faith becomes anxious and worried, encourage us to keep trusting you. When our faith begins to lose hope, fill us with your Holy Spirit's presence. Amen. Well, again, thanks for being here or for watching. I am very grateful for that. And I just want to be short and sweet and simple. You are sent. Go.
Thank you. 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 Thank you.